Hello, listeners, and welcome to another week of the show. I'm so grateful for all of you who've been listening so far. I've been working really hard to get you the best I can for this season, and I can't wait to share another week with you. In case we haven't met before, my name is Josiah Sinanin, and I am your culturally ambiguous and culturally mixed host, here to take you on a discussion about race, culture, and society that might be a little different than what you're used to. Growing up in Canada, I had a hard time explaining to people who I was. What I mean is, I come from a mixed race background, and so often, I would be asked, where are you from? And I couldn't really answer. On one hand, my mom is a Caucasian woman, her family owns farmland in Alberta, and she's been here for generations. And on the other, my dad is of Trinidadian descent, and although he was born here in Canada, he did all of his schooling in Trinidad. Was I able to say I was Canadian? Should I tell people about my dad? Should I identify more with my exotic background so I can better explain my skin color? All of these questions would run through my mind as a kid growing up. And as I got older, I realized that who I am has so much more to do with the experience and stories I've come to collect. Culture is such a strange term in this way because we often equate it with the background or race of someone, but oftentimes it doesn't quite work that way. The benefit of not being able to tell just what background I come from has aided me in having really candid conversations about race and culture. People just tend to open up to me about this topic. In fact, last season, I even got to sit down and chat with Rachel Dolezal, the infamous news topic of 2015, a woman who is born white but identifies as black. I was able to paint a different narrative with her on the show. If you missed that episode, it's episode 7 of season 2. Today, We're revisiting some of these themes, but we'll be talking with two millennials who are shaping culture in their world and have both fought perceptions to do so. Our guests today are curator, entrepreneur, and artist, Rihanna Lauren, and recording artist and musician, Rubino, who is also known as Colin Carbonera. Both of these people have broken into the public eye in Western Canada and have aims at impacting more of the world around them through their art. Their stories might challenge and inspire you beyond your initial perception of them, and I'm excited to expose you to their true culture. These are vivacious creatives, warm hearts, and exuberant guests, and I'm so happy to have them on this week. Before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kosofsky, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Anticulture is also brought to you by the Alberta Forest Products Association. If you're an Albertan, chances are you love our forests. With more than 60% of the province covered in them, they're where we play, explore, and work. Over 40,000 Albertans are employed because of our sustainable forestry industry. And before a single tree is harvested, we plan 200 years ahead to ensure healthy forests for years to come. Why? Because you nurture what you love. Learn more at loveabforests.ca. We're kicking things off this week with my friend, Rihanna Lauren. As an artist, host, visionary, and trailblazer, Rihanna is a mixed race and proud Calgarian, 
and someone who has incredible additions to our chat on race, culture, and society. I've known Rihanna since I was young, and for as long as I can remember, she has been an inspiration to me, in more ways than one. She has hosted Calgary's annual hip-hop artist showcase, 10 at 10 Calgary, and perhaps most notably, was the host of a monthly secret location art and discussion event known as People Are Pearls here in the city. The movement she started was a movement of culture, a movement of community, and a movement that was completely different than anything I had ever seen before in our landlocked, mid-sized city of Calgary. Out of anyone I know, Rihanna knows how to highlight and value people. She inspires thought, expression, and identity, and as such, she is a force for what culture really means. In a lot of ways, I feel as though Rihanna is doing what I'm trying to do with this podcast, just express differently. And let me tell you, her People Are Pearls events were an expression. Only someone like her could pull it off the way she did. Rihanna is now pursuing a different path, and I'm so glad I got to pick her brain on what makes her tick and why she finds cultural expression and identity so important while being a mixed-race, proud Calgarian, trailblazing woman. I'm so excited to introduce you to my first guest, Rihanna Lauren. So Rihanna Lauren, this friend of mine that I've known since I was like 11, maybe. Wait, how old are you now again? I'm 25 now. Okay. Yeah, I think okay. I've known you since I was like 11 or 12. Wow, wow so yeah, cute. Yeah, <laughs> from way back when. Yeah. <laughs> so you have done a lot. And to be honest, it's been a little bit hard to follow everything that you've tried to do (laughs) as things have progressed. And I know you've had, you did some film stuff before and you've created these events around the city of Calgary. And now you're based in Vancouver part-time and you've always been working on some kind of project, I feel like. And do you think that's a big part of what makes you who you are and what got you into just trailblazing, I guess, because I think for the community that was around me when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of people doing that. And I always thought, wow, Rihanna's like always doing something and that's so admirable. And has that always been a part of your character? Wow, thanks. What a double at does like so much affirmation. And then with a quick little question while I'm still processing the affirmation. <laughs> Let it, it sink in, yeah. Has that always been a part of my character? Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you very much for seeing that part of me. I think, yeah, if you were to ask someone like my parents or like my grade one teacher, they would say yes, for Mm, sure. (laughs) I've been that way from quite a young age. I mean, something small that kind of pops into my head is even like I planned my own birthday parties from when I was around like five or six and like I would do everything and like I would send the invites at the theme. Like that's just something kind of small that pops into my Mm -hmm. head in terms of doing things or I guess... Yeah, I really liked leadership in school. I liked being able to be a leader where there are opportunities. Yeah, I guess so. That's cool. (laughs) Do you know, like, was that influenced by something particular or is it just Mm. kind of an innate part of you, do you think? That's that's a really great question. I think... So there's uh, obviously multiple factors to, like, how is someone the way that they are? Mm -hmm. One thing that I used to cite a lot is... So I just... The birthday parties are kind of a fascinating metaphor. But with my parents... A lot of my friends were allowed. If they were turning six, they could invite six people. If they were turning seven, oh. they could invite seven people. Eight, eight people. You didn't have this I've experience? I've never heard of that, no. Okay, this might be more of a... So I'm from, I'm from a mixed race family. My mom is white. My dad is... My mom is white Canadian. My dad is black American. Okay. So I was going to say maybe it's relating to maybe different cultures, but I had a mixed family, so that, that doesn't really apply. <laughs> right. But something as small as that, they didn't put limits on me in that sense. Hmm. And so in terms of like, the sky kind of became the limit at a very young age. Like, hmm. oh, I can 
I can have a party with 40 people and like we're going to have this theme and this, that and that, you know. So I think the way that they kind of approached my creativity and were like generally pretty proud of what I would bring home, like they didn't speak negatively about my schoolwork or my appearance. I know some friends had that experience, Mm, especially girls of their parents or their mom saying you should oh, you should probably put on some mascara or something like that. So just like little things that I think contribute to how a child views themselves. I was pretty confident. And then some school teachers, I would say. I had some really great school teachers that believed in me and encouraged my wildness. Yeah. And yeah, most recently you've, and you're not really involved in this anymore, but you did kind of embed yourself into the ebb and flow of Calgary and the more creative musician side of things and the artists and bringing those people together through your project, People Are Pearls. And you grew up in this city as well. So why was it important for you to do something like People Are Pearls? And is Calgary still a city that you want to see thrive in that area? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything relating to art and artists and community is, I think, forever in me. I'm not, I mean, I guess we'll find out when I'm 90 years old, but it seems kind of like wherever I go, whether that's just visiting for a trip or for maybe an extended period of time or more so dwelling and community and caring about the well-being of artists as people too Mm. has been something that's a big part of me for like, I don't know, a few years. Yeah. Like I would say that I'm based in both Calgary and Vancouver and then traveling quite a lot right now. So it is different. It's a different season. Yeah. It's definitely something that I hope to see thrive everywhere. But Western Canada is kind of an odd place Mm -hmm. um, for this sort of culture. Yeah. So having spent more time in Vancouver now and then being born and raised in Calgary, which I love Calgary, by the way, like I could almost cry at times how much I love it. Like wow. it's, it, it shifted in 20, it was around 2016, 20-ish yeah. for me. Western Canada, in my opinion, like we don't want it to be this way, but in terms of how like North America operates, mm-hmm. Western Canada definitely gets the leftovers. Yeah. <laughs> and so not, yeah. not in terms of the people that live here and do things, but just to look at something simple like a concert tour, right? For example, there was a concert that came through in uh, in May, I think. It was the Catch Me If You Can, I think it was called tour. It was okay. it's really incredible artists. And they, one of the tour stops was in Calgary. Mm-hmm. And I was so shook. I was like, what is happening? Yeah, I, just, was, I was happy. Right, I was really happy for right. Calgary. And I, at the time, happened to be in Vancouver. So I got the Vancouver show. But I was like... I was just honestly speechless. It's it's very, in my opinion, it's, there's a lot of artists that don't make it to Calgary Mm -hmm. on their tours. I can just Mm -hmm. say that a little bit more for Vancouver, certainly, but almost always Toronto. Yeah, definitely. Like Toronto, Montreal always is kind of top bid, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true, especially in your area of arts and culture like that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the areas that I tend to be most active or passionate in would be I kind of hate this term, but it's helpful. I think people, it's a good reference point, is mm-hmm. the quote-unquote urban arts. Right. And that includes a lot of sounds and cultures under that umbrella. But certainly in that in that world, yeah. So, so Western Canada, I think sometimes with that being the case, the way that culture is inherently here as well hasn't left an absorbent amount of space for artists in that world to look up to mm, here, right? right? Very frequently, if somebody gets to a certain level of like quote unquote success or fame in their practices, mm-hmm. it's common to then move away right. to try to pop off somewhere else, which I'm not against that. I understand it's, yeah. it kind of is the way it is, but it's difficult because it's not like New York or LA or yeah. Chicago or Toronto where there's this like beautiful cesspool of 
people just all like, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Even making this podcast, like the first time I was trying to focus on Alberta and like get a lot of good leads of people who've accomplished things and done stuff especially in the diversity realm for that first season. And I was talking to a journalist that was kind of helping me out. And he was saying like, make sure you contact these people like in the next three months because they're probably going to leave <laughs> like now that they got this award or now that they did this. I'm like, what? Like, so it's interesting. We have a really weird culture, but I, I almost look at it like here is like a really good like breeding ground. Mm -hmm. Like you can really build your reputation in Calgary and then bring that somewhere else. And it kind of already gives you that first step in a new place. I that's, agree. That's kind of how I see it. But yeah, it is nice when people that were from here or who grew a lot here, like, you know, kind of shout out Calgary and show that love, whether yeah. it's with words or action. Yeah. And so I, I do think there are people here doing incredible things. And I mean, with People Are Pearls, part of the intention was a lot of it was just around, <laughs> it was about arts and community, but that was more the vector to deliver the heart of it, which was talking about just worth basically that mm. you are we are worthy people you know we are cherished we, our journeys are similar to pearls where it starts as a grain of sand it's agitated over time in this environment and right. it becomes something beautiful and cherished and so it was it was that but it was to create an environment where people could interact and foster meaningful relationships and i wanted anyone to be able to come into those rooms and be comfortable even mm -hmm. somebody who's like it should be a place for somebody who's extremely extroverted and outgoing all the way to somebody who's really introverted right. and maybe even socially anxious could come and be comfortable yeah and in having some conversations with people that were would describe themselves to me as very introverted or socially anxious i don't know if i should come mm -hmm. i don't even know to go with some of those people came and actually made really meaningful friendships yeah. people left these events some people i know one person who met their like partner there met their best friend business partner whoa it was it, it was really cool and so i think yeah definitely something i'm proud of and really grateful to have had mm -hmm. so many wonderful people involved whether featured creatives or volunteer team but yeah the heart of it was is, is about connection really right. it's connecting people art is incredible but yeah. i think we love art because it helps us feel yeah like, connected part of something to yeah yeah so given that you have invested in calgary into that community specifically and you're born and raised here and you mentioned how much you love the city. I guess I'm curious why Vancouver is part of the picture now and why you're based in both places. And yeah, what have you what have you taken from a different city like Vancouver being based there? So Vancouver for me was strictly personal reasons why I was there more often, or I guess why I am there more often. And being a Western Canadian girl, it is kind of neat to have perspective and experiences from both Calgary being born and raised here and Vancouver now. And it's really interesting to see how close they are geographically, you know, being in the West, but yeah. quite different in culture. Yeah. And just right now, I'm certainly living a little bit more of a nomadic life. So I'm probably, it's a little bit different each month, but each month I'm maybe a third of the time in Vancouver, a third of the time in Calgary, and then a third of the time somewhere else traveling. Hmm. So it's been that way for the last little while. And um, sometimes that can be tiring, but it's also really incredible, the people that I yeah. meet. And yeah, just even being able to be like extremely intentional when I am somewhere, I try to be, you know, hyper present mm -hmm. to just be there. Mm -hmm. I think the question about Vancouver, it's certainly been interesting being there more as a Calgarian. And I already appreciated what Calgary was and had to offer. I think I do even more so now. I think Vancouver is an incredible place and it has a lot to offer for people that 
love mountains, that love being outside, that love good coffee. Right. Um, that like, if depending on where you live, a commuter lifestyle. Um, and there seems to be some neat art there as well. For me, I think I have a soft spot in my heart for the arts community of Calgary. I certainly appreciate the diversity and I'm thinking ethnically in my head. Yeah. So I had a friend working on something for People Are Pearls once and so I was sending her media from the events to create whatever she was creating visually. And she responded and said, how did you find all these cool people of color? And I was like, I don't know. This is who comes to my events. Right. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And she is based in Vancouver. And so, um, yeah, when I was out, like, well, when I am slash was when I'm in Vancouver, it, it feels a little bit different. For example, yeah. there's this incredible event going on there now. Uh, I, well, I just went to the first one, but it's a really neat kind of community that she's building called Black Women Connect Vancouver. They hosted their first event a couple weeks ago and I went and it was awesome. And the room had, I'm not sure, maybe 60 women or something. Okay. But this is a conversation that is pretty... I don't know. It just it just seems like it's kind of a joke in Vancouver that there's not many black people. Like when you see someone, it's like right. Like you like traffic stops and you're like, hello. <laughs> right, you know, right, right. Not, Interesting. Not like really, but yeah. In, and so I noticed this one time I had been in Vancouver for a period of time and then I came back to Calgary. Yeah. But like I had been in Vancouver for an extended period of time. And I was sitting with a friend on 17th Ave outside of Kim Eng Sub. Shout out Kim Eng Sub. Best Vietnamese so subs good. in the city. Yes. I am Can attest. Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, and people were walking by and I, I noticed because I had been not here for a right. while, how many black people walked by. And we and we didn't look at each other because it wasn't like, oh my gosh, a black person. Right, right, right. So that's a very real thing. That's not crazy. I mean, obviously it's my experience. So or a lot of no, people that makes experience. sense, actually. Yeah. yeah. And so when we talk about cultures and I guess sort of diversity being incredibly important, there are certainly people of different ethnicities in Vancouver, obviously. But in Calgary, it just seems like, well, one thing here, and it's changed over the years, but there are a few things that happen regularly. And mm -hmm. I think that's really important for the health of a city's culture and yeah. community, whatever your subculture of interest may be. There's a, quite a few subcultures in Calgary in the arts community and just in general that do events and yeah. host experiences that happen, whether it's once a year, every six months, every month, every two months. And there's there's some that have been tried. And like, for example, People of Pearls was monthly, but it was only for a period of time. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that's something I, I, I've, I have not yeah. found a ton of that in Vancouver and so it's just kind of noticeable and there yeah. and there are some great artists out there you know and, and creatives and I I think I and I, I want to just humbly say that I'm still you know I've only been there you know exploring around Vancouver a little more intently for the last couple of years so I don't want to speak and say that you know I understand right. how it fully operates but in terms of this subculture community that I'd be interested in um and actually, a lot of Vancouverites who I who I know have kind of shared the same thing sure. with me. So, I mean, I really attest like in, in the world that I'm interested in, I can't not shout out Benny Johnson, who is the uh, creative director of 10 at 10 Calgary. If someone has not heard of 10 at 10 Calgary, I would encourage them to check it out. I attribute a lot of Calgary's growth and beautiful pumping culture in the urban arts sphere to mm -hmm. 10 at 10 because they were consistent. I think it's, I don't even know, like, eight, nine years right, yeah. it's been going on. Yeah. That's exhausting. That's a long time to keep yeah. showing up for your community. So true. You know, so not just him. I know there's a team of people that have helped over the years, but I've certainly seen him be around from, I think, the beginning to now. Wow. And, and even other events that are not 10 at 10, People Are Pearls, 
I experienced 10 at 10, you know, a little when I was a little bit younger. And so I think subconsciously and consciously, we are inspired by things like that that are consistent yeah. to show us how we could do things in our yeah. city too. Yeah. Or like Chris Merrick with One Big Jam, like the people who have tried, who really done things consistently, especially yeah. when they have their own other jobs and kids and families and mm-hmm. stuff. It's it's just really meaningful. And I think it's incredibly totally. beautiful and, and sacrificial. So I know for myself, like I also grew up in a mixed race family and I really struggled to feel the sentiment that a lot of Albertans feel. Even people in my mom's own family who have, I've seen right online, like I'm a Berta boy fit in or F off. And, you know, that's someone that I'm related to. And I don't have that sentiment, obviously. Yet I was born and raised here. and. Yeah, it's just interesting being in Calgary because obviously this relative, they're like north of Edmonton and live on a farm. So it's like a little different. But yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about the diversity that's here because that's also been my experience. And it's been so freeing being from that background because growing up in school, it just made me feel more welcome because everyone came from such a different background and I didn't have to explain myself to people Mm. or like give, Mm, mm, you know, mm, explaining. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I mean, people still don't know where I'm from ever, but (laughs) at least it's not like a character thing. Like a lot of people open up to me about how they feel about race because they don't know where I'm from, which is kind of cool. But I'm curious, like, it sounds like you've had a really positive upbringing and you were given a lot of freedoms and I'm just curious, what has your experience been in the Alberta context with race personally, if you would share a little bit of that? Okay. So I will say, okay, two things I want to preface with. Yeah. One is for anyone not listening who has not seen a picture of me. I am a mixed race, as I mentioned, black and white person. So I'm a lighter skinned black woman. I'm a mixed woman, depending on who I'm talking to, whether it's a friend in like Chicago or LA or Calgary or someone who is from an African country. There's a lot of different perspectives of what it means to say I'm a black woman. Right. However, I am a lighter skinned and I would say that I am relatively good looking as a person. I was born and raised in this country and in this city. So I speak English as my first language. Right. You know, I had access to a pretty good school system. I had two parents. So I just, for me, I yeah, like to right. acknowledge these, why would I would say privileges? Yeah. Um, you know, we hear the phrase like white privilege a lot and that's important to talk about. I think it's important for us to recognize our own privileges. So for me, moving through the world as a person of color, as a woman of color, that's very real. But I also recognize those things, right. which may that's good. Yeah, give me different advantages than maybe folks who came here from another nation or who don't speak English and what their experience might be Mm -hmm. like here. Uh, That being said, (laughs) oh, it's like you laugh, you cry at the same time. How do you, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, a lot of my negative or challenging experiences as a person of color here, I use the phrase happened as hurt in hindsight. So they're not always things that I clocked at age 12 and at age eight and at age 18 Mm. or 19 to realize this is racist. This is not okay. They're things that as I became more aware and and enlightened myself, because even as a person of color, I cringe sometimes at some of the sentiments or thoughts that I had even in my early adulthood, because Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily grow up around a lot of people of color. And so I, you learn things, you learn different ways of respecting and honor. And I had a black friend from California call me out on something once that I said, and I, I didn't even realize that I was saying something ignorant about my own people, you know? So just to kind of paint a little bit of picture and just be honest that it's not just, oh, you're born in dark skin, therefore you know all the things. No, that's not true because I grew up in the cookie cutter white suburbs of Calgary with all of those other things I just mentioned. So I kind of feel like around age 
21-ish was, I kind of joke and say that's when I realized I was black, which is <laughs> obviously I knew before then. Yeah. But that's where a big part of my journey of the black experience started. Interesting. Yeah. So with a lot of these hurt in hindsights, they're things that when I think back on are painful and I wish I could go back in time and help that little girl or that mm. child or that teenager and say, this is not okay. Like they can't talk to you like that. Just little things kids would yeah. say in school. And even in my work, well, I won't say when, but I have experienced certain comments in my work places that were extremely ignorant and I'm being gentle. They were racist okay. um, in regards to my hair. That's something that's, it's a very, hair is a really easy entry point for right. racism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's so, true. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, those are just a couple of things that came to my mind. Mm -hmm. So all that being said, I mean, it's very interesting. I look at who are my friends now and I'm really grateful to have had friends from different backgrounds and ethnicities in my lifetime mm -hmm. and even now. Yeah, even looking at a lot of my friends who are, let's just speak about the black women. I have friends of other ethnicities too. Yeah. But even, yeah, my black friends are not all the same black. It's kind of represents a vast diaspora. I mean, yeah. I have one friend who's like Zambian, one who's half Caribbean, half Romanian, me and my sister, which is the American side we have. There's a lot. Yeah. So I'm just going to take a breath and I invite you to interject because I can, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind sure. of going all over the place here, but <laughs> yeah. So I guess I, don't know like, if I answered your actual question. Do you feel like after your kind of post-realization phase right. <laughs> when you were kind of getting and you were considering you were continuing to produce, I guess your, your projects and kind of your passion and follow those things. Did you ever feel like you had a response period to those racism and hindsight moments? Like, did you feel like you had to kind of establish your identity a little bit more when you had hmm. that moment of realization? Hmm. I think those moments have happened in sprinkles throughout the years. And I think, yeah, I guess establishing more of my identity in that sense happens just over time. It's it's yeah. not necessarily like a reflective or a set aside period. Yeah. I can I can certainly see a change even in some of some of my art as well or phrasing that I would use or perspective experiences I would have and cuz I it was around 21 it wasn't just that I had this awakening and it was like oh convenient great something in me had been longing to connect to a part of me that had been visible to the world my whole life. Right. Wow. And that's a good line. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. And yeah, that's that's really what happened. And so yeah. it was it was a longing, I would say. It was a such an appreciation for the incredible people that had yeah. influenced my life to that point. So grateful. And, you know, I even think one of my, you know, best friends to this day is like very white. She would describe herself likely as like visibly and culturally white. Right. However, it's interesting. Her, her and I had this realization that she grew up most of her years um, in the Northeast in a, in a district that was more diverse. So okay. I was like, that's very fascinating. Yeah. But yeah. So I, I appreciation for these people. However, I did notice that I had a longing to connect with and understand better what it meant mm -hmm. for me to be a, just a, a person of color and yeah. and a person in the black diaspora. So yeah. And in the context of Alberta, like, is that something that you use as an identifier? Like I am Albertan as well. Right. And how does that, is right. there ever a conflict that you've encountered? I really do identify as Albertan. And like, if we just want to use Instagram, for example, I love like my sister and I, my sister is in like a relief. It makes me laugh. She's like very extreme. But mine, I love like, I'm a Calgary girl through and through. I think I do like hashtag Alberta girl with a sense of pride. Right. Yeah. With a sense of pride. And yeah, I mean, even though there have certainly been some challenges here and there and more so for me, it has been less overt 
except for the time in grade seven when the kids <laughs> were using the n-word that was overt but it's been less <laughs> overt and more okay. mic- microaggressions yeah. right yeah uh things that are kind of like did that just that just happen okay cool cool yeah cool. so it's been more that however the challenging parts aside i feel that calgary is very diverse yeah when i think it was 2012 we were the multicultural center or something right. of canada yeah i don't know what that was i uh, vaguely who, remember that yeah, too. who determined that yeah <laughs> but um that's how i that is how i feel here and i've actually noticed just because i do travel quite a lot like this is just a very particular strange thing but when i'm somewhere and there's not a lot of asian people around or like asian people foods i feel really uncomfortable and weird like it feels right. weird to me so i noticed that first it was just asian folks but i think diversity is is really strong and beautiful and i think that there's a danger in anytime communities are very homogenous i think that's concerning because it leaves a lot of room to create negative cesspools of us just creating right, a lot of our right. own and sometimes unhelpful and healthy narratives. And so I like that in Calgary, it does seem that there's yeah. space to check each other a little bit, yeah. you know? And it's interesting to you say that too, because it's almost like you can kind of use this Alberta argument and kind of the reputation that's formed over the years, but Calgary has always been diverse and that's part of what makes people Calgarian too. So it's not so much, it makes more sense that someone who's like north of Edmonton on a farm would have that cesspool hmm, and maybe that perspective because... Yeah. And that's what makes Alberta so interesting is there's so many right. That's perspectives. Yeah. I guess I, I can't really speak too much to someone in that situation because I haven't spent a lot of time there. Yeah. But yes, I, I think Calgary's diverse. However, it has changed over the years mm-hmm. from when I was younger, even from five, 10 years ago, yeah. people that I saw, there's certainly more people around from different backgrounds now that's always it's it's there's generally often people coming here so it has changed i don't think it's always been quote unquote like this yeah and it's certainly not you know it's not the most diverse place in the world however something that i have noticed conversations i've had i had a couple of conversations with i think it was two new yorkers new yorkers (laughs) there (laughs) Um, it is practicing for your trip and somewhere else as well where they kind of were expressing and talking about how new york is often described as this melting pot Mm -hmm. but it can often feel quite segregated still so it's like this is a predominantly black community this is a predominantly latino community this is a you know what i mean yeah whereas in calgary we we do have that kind of a little bit yeah it's not as stark and I think it's also just a smaller, a smaller city. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, so I identify as an Alberta girl, I yeah. identify as a Calgary girl, I identify as a woman of color, a person of color, uh, Western Canadian. I'm, I'm certainly Western Canadian. I'm very proud of being f- from here. I think that I, I think I sometimes forget this kind of negative quote unquote redneck narr- narrative that comes yeah. from here because it's not hasn't been most of my experience. Mm-hmm. However, don't we often gravitate to the sp- spaces we're more comfortable in? So I'm probably not going to gravitate to spend a lot of time in like, <laughs> you yeah, know, rural Alberta. Well, not, not even rural Alberta, which is also endearing. I love rural yeah. Alberta in a weird way because I'm like Calgary. Me too. Um, but more, no, more so just to spend time around people that are, you know, speaking negatively. Right. I will just do a light plug because it, cr- yeah. it connects into what we're speaking about. Sure. Very relatable to all of this. This summer, I was inspired and had an idea and ended up working with some incredible creatives to produce a project. I'm, yeah, a, a project that comes in two parts. It's visual, part photo, part video. And it, uh, it speaks to w- what we're talking about, kind of that tension between what it means to exist here as a person of color and maybe sometimes the misunderstandings or mm. la- lacks of being heard and... um 
But basically, it features some of the Black millennial creative women in Calgary or that have, you know, influenced Calgary or dwelled here for a certain amount mm-hmm. of time. And yeah, I, I won't say too much more, but I would say look out for this. Cool. Uh, if it hasn't already come out, you can look out for it via me. But if it has, definitely check it out. And it featured some really incredible creatives and worked with a wonderful photographer named Alia and Gabriel Yi from 403K Films. Awesome. Yeah. So I would encourage anyone who's been interested in this sort of a conversation and these narratives to check it out. Such a joy hearing from Rihanna and always so invigorating to hear what she has to say. Thank you again, Rihanna, for being on the show with me. If you want to follow Rihanna online and keep up with her projects and get in touch with her, you can find her on Instagram at kdance. That's all one word, C-A-E, dance. My next guest is someone who I am so excited to share with you as well. He's a local musician here in Calgary who seriously has a unique talent that I know will take him places. It's my friend Robino, also known as Colin. Colin has been pursuing music since he can remember, and at this stage, After releasing several songs under his band name, Robino, Colin is shifting directions with his music and is also producing up-and-coming artists in and around Calgary. His genre is shifting for his own brand, but seriously, his music is incredible. Every song Colin has produced is standalone and unique and extremely catchy. I'm not sure how he does it, but he kills it every time. And to kick it all off, Colin is constantly challenging the perceptions of those around him. He's a family unit with a wife and son and a worship leader at his church, but Colin is also only 24 years old. Colin's family immigrated here from the Philippines and being a second generation Canadian, a self-proclaimed short guy and a Christian, Colin has a lot up against him, but unapologetically brings his all in a way that no one can. I'm so thrilled that Colin is on the show this week before he becomes the next Justin Timberlake. I think you're going to love my chat with this trailblazer as well. Thank you for joining us. We're doing a show, this episode, kind of about, yeah, I guess just like influencers throughout Calgary and being a local person who's involved with the arts. So you have a couple other people on the show, but I thought I wanted to feature you because you've kind of created your own movement within the Calgary music scene, particularly the R&B scene. And I guess moving into pop with your new stuff coming Mm -hmm. out soon. So yeah, we wanted to feature you, but the show is called Anti-Culture and I always like to have the cultural discussion with my guests as well. And you are a person of color. You are a minority. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So we're going to be talking a little bit about that too. But before we get started, why don't you just introduce yourself and let everyone know what you do and what Rabino is about and... Yeah. Cool. Yeah. uh, My name is Colin Carbonera. I'm a producer and a singer songwriter here in Calgary. I also do this project called Rubino, which as Josiah said, thank you, (laughs) um, kind of traversed in R&B, but we're heading into more of a pop direction. Nice. And how long have you been doing music? Tough to say. Um, If we're taking a look at the root of it all, I guess I started when I was six in piano lessons, but from a professional standpoint, I would say maybe when I was like 19. Okay, nice. And what made you decide to kind of take it to the next level? Is it, has it always been like something you wanted to do? Yeah, I think so. Like, I guess being raised in an environment where my parents just wanted to stimulate that creativity Mm -hmm. is kind of a no brainer. I mean, my mom and dad 
wanted me to turn out to be an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. And I guess kind of that rebellious spirit in me was like, no, I'm going to be an artist. <laughs> nice. Had to yeah. go against the grain. I had to. I yeah. had to. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your cultural background and how you grew up and what your kind of family history is there? Yeah. So I'm Filipino with, I guess, traces of like Chinese and Spanish background. Nice. And so my parents were very traditional Filipinos and they're actually an older couple. So I got raised by parents who are kind of from that baby boomer generation, okay, yeah. but also very much like the standard What's the standard? There is no standard. The younger parent, like, standard I don't know. Parents. The standard parent. Yeah, I don't know. There's no such thing as a standard parent. Yeah. But yeah, they immigrated to Canada and then they had me. So you were born here in Canada. I was born here okay, in Canada. Okay, so second yes. generation. Second generation baby. So from that perspective, I think I know a little bit about your history a little bit, but you didn't go to public school. You went to a private school. Is that right? Yeah, I went to a charter school. So I feel like it had elements okay. of public and private. Yeah. Um, I had to wear a uniform all okay. the time. Yeah. And what was that experience like in Calgary? Like if you could explain it to someone who had no context. I don't know. I don't think it was very different from like a public school experience. I was always a very like bright kid mm -hmm. and um, got good grades, but I was also really invested in the arts. Right. Yeah. I felt like my school was able to kind of nurture that in me um, mm -hmm. as a young student. Yeah. That's awesome. And so growing up kind of in that, I guess, place of privilege, like having a school that you could grow from those experiences and work on your art. What was your perception of at that time, like when you were in high school of how the music and art scene looked in Calgary? Did, did you feel like there was room for you to start your project? Were you like inspired that this is the place you wanted to start? Like, mm. why did you decide to stay in Calgary? Did that have a part to play in it? Honestly, I think I just loved Calgary for what it was. And just like my community here was super tight knit. Like I was a huge theater geek in high school. Okay. And so my teacher really exposed me to a whole bunch of different mediums, whether that was performing on stage or seeing live theater, mm -hmm. musical theater, choir, things like that. And then my art teacher... She also, I think, was very hip in the scene and ha had a lot of contacts. Like, I remember one class, or like for a few classes, we did The Art of Graffiti with um nice the kid below. Oh, nice. Yeah, which was super sweet. So I think just being exposed to that kind of helped me realize how rich Calgary's art scene is. Right. So cool. that was a big factor of it. Do you think a lot of people maybe write off Calgary for that aspect of its character? Because I feel like it's not really... It's surprising to a lot of people that, mm. you know, this big city in Alberta, well, not big city in Alberta, <laughs> has an art scene at all. When you think of Canadian art, it's usually Toronto, Vancouver, yeah. that kind of thing. Are you passionate about reforming that? And is that important to you as you continue to do Rubino? I am. Yeah, it is very important to me. I was talking to my friend Colton O'Reilly of I'm the Mountain mm. at an event we were playing called Soul Bowl. And I was talking to him about the scene and I was like, man, the scene is super underground. I don't even know if I'm a part of this scene right. or if I'm just like doing my own thing. I have no idea. I feel like an island. And he told me, he was like, man, what we're doing here is we're building the scene. And so while people might not know about it mm -hmm. or it might be a surprise, as you said, 
there is a rich scene here. It's vibrant and it's growing and it's thriving. And I think that's amazing. Totally. I actually saw today, do you know Ruben Young? Yeah. He was like the featured artist on Apple today. I did see that. That's that, crazy. Yeah. That is honestly amazing. So go Calgary. Yeah. That's really exciting. Yeah. So bring us up to speed with Rubino. What, what have you done so far and what's coming up next for you guys? Right. So we released um, our first single Crocodile in the summer of 2018. And that recently just hit, I think, like 115,000 streams Nice on Spotify, which is so awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And so I guess that was part of our R&B and pop project. And so, like I said earlier, we're heading into more of a pop direction, a pop focus. And so we're putting out a single tomorrow, actually, which is the 18th of October. October 18th. So it'll be out by the time this episode's here. It will. It sure will. And then we have an EP coming out November 15th. Awesome. That's really exciting. And are you going to do any shows after that? Yes, we're planning on doing an EP release. We are still working out the details of that. So stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. tuned. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's really exciting. So you've been kind of transitioning your genre, but in the meantime, you've been trying to produce a lot of local Calgary sounds. Mm -hmm. What has that experience been like for you? Is it something you want to keep doing? Yes, it's been incredible. I actually just met with a producer who had actually been on the set of like Family Guy, The Lion King, things like that. Cool. Who actually lives here in Calgary. And he was telling me, he was like, one day you're going to have to make a decision between performing your own music or making music for other people. And I feel like I haven't reached that point yet, but I really do love bringing people's vision to life musically. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been able to work with a whole variety of genres of artists, whether that's like folk music, singer, songwriter, pop, and R&B, things like that. Yeah. And so that, yeah, that's been really fun just to kind of put my own imprint on other people's work. Nice looping back the conversation a little bit to your background and kind of your history and your family history. Now you're at kind of a point where not only did you grow up here, went to school here, you know, we're surrounded by the influences that make Calgary what it is in the art scene. But now you've actually made your own imprint in our city. And it's part of the history of our city in many ways that there's this artist that is from Calgary. And that's that makes a huge statement. So personally, it's pretty evident that a lot of your artwork and the, the music side of your personality and your creativity is a huge part of what how you identify and how people associate with you. And beyond that, I'm just curious, do you feel like you have a lot of conversations that surround your national or cultural identity? Do people kind of dig a little deeper and try to figure out where you're from? Do you feel like you're very like starkly Canadian? What's your experience mm. with that? Yeah, that is a really interesting question. I mean, from an art standpoint... I feel like a lot of my music or art doesn't really reflect, I guess, the richness of my Filipino background. It's a lot more Canadian. What even is Canadian? But when people ask about the name Rabino, it's actually my mother's maiden name. Oh, cool. And so I think that's, I, I really like that. It Like it sounds soulful, but at the same time, it's like, wow, this is a part of where you come from right. and who you are. And so... I get into a lot of interesting discussions when people ask, where does Rubino come from? What does it mean? Hmm. And I think if you look at the word in Spanish or Latin or something like that, actually means teacher. Oh, cool. And I think through a lot of my music, I want to teach people about my experiences or my background. 
I guess as a pop R and B songwriter. Yeah. But also as like the kid of immigrants. Right. And the child of immigrants. <laughs> Rabino, the child of immigrants yes. and teacher. It's a new documentary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Cool. I really yeah. like that. And actually now you are building your own family. You're exactly. married. You have a son. I guess, yeah. What do you hope for your son growing up, how he'll feel his own identity. What's your concept? Do you hope he'll have kind of that connection to the Filipino heritage that's from your side or how do you want him to grow Mm. up seeing himself? Yeah, I would love that. I feel for myself, it was a bit of a struggle to really connect with my Filipino roots because like most of my friends were white Mm -hmm. growing up and then my parents didn't really find themselves connected with a Filipino group here in Cal- in okay. Calgary. So I feel like they were pretty isolated Interesting. Um, as well. But we did grow up watching like Filipino programming, which was really cool. So I got to kind of take a look at pop culture in the, in the Filipino world. Right. And how did you respond to that when you watched it when you were little? Did you feel like it was like foreign or strange because you didn't really have people to talk to about it? Or was it did yeah. you feel a connection to it? What was Absolutely. Your... It was it was a bit of both. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the programming was super cheesy. Right. So I was like, oh, I don't know if I can connect to this the yeah. way I connect to like like Canadian broadcasting or whatever. Sure. But I don't know. It was always cool to see like what my parents liked growing up or what my parents like now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And have you yourself, because you mentioned your parents didn't really find a community right away. Have you been able to connect with a lot of Canadian Filipinos that are in Calgary? Because I know there's a, quite a few in the there city. There are quite a few. Yeah, I have a few good friends that are Filipino-Canadian. But I also have found there's almost like two groups of Filipino-Canadians. There's like the okay. very, the very like, I want to say whitewashed. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> like the whitewashed Filipino-Canadian that's just very much like your typical everyday millennial. Yeah. And then there's like the very ingrained in Filipino culture. Interesting. um, Filipino Canadian. Yeah. Where it's like they eat chicken adobo all the time or like you mentioned balut and they're like, oh yeah, like that stuff's delicious. And you're like, oh, I don't know, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That scares me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not the people, the balut. (laughs) So what category do you fall into? More of the whitewash? Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's always been tough for me to reconcile like classic Canadian root with like the Filipino root. Mm-hmm. Even like growing up in church, like a lot of my Filipino friends that were there when I was younger have gone on to different churches, just like hung out with other groups and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It almost seems like the Filipino experience here is quite a bit different than a lot of other minority groups like it seems like it's kind of become its own thing Mm. in a lot of ways and then there's also people like you that have just completely latched onto Canadian culture in many ways too so I guess going off of that it sounds like you you said you you mentioned you grew up in the church and you also went to a charter school and now you've kind of broken into a bit of the music scene independently have there ever been any blockages to you expanding your reach due to your race or background in your opinion Honestly, I don't think so. I feel like everyone I've encountered for the most part has been very inclusive. Mm -hmm. I feel like there are a lot of stereotypes that come with being a Filipino. Like Filipinos are great for doing 
maintenance work or like cleaning, things like that. Or like, oh, wow, like he's a Filipino, so he must be a good singer. Like all like 700 of the Filipinos that I know, things like that, that have kind of been imprinted on me, but not something that I've necessarily accepted for myself Mm -hmm. uh, as something that would limit me. I don't know. I think the music scene here especially is very inclusive. I think people want to give a lot of opportunities to people of color in this scene. And I think that's awesome. Like even looking at movements like 10 at 10, mm-hmm. very much operated by people of color. And I yeah. think that is incredible. We actually, on this same episode, we're talking to um, one of the ladies who hosted 10 at 10 last year. So oh, very we've cool. already kind of talked about that, which is really sweet. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. The synergy. The synergy. <laughs> it's here, man. That's awesome. Cool. Well, beyond, I guess, race and culture, what do you think has been the hardest thing in putting your music out there coming from a city like Calgary? Mm. I guess just Calgary hasn't really been on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, like you were saying earlier, like we're thinking like Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver. But I think it's getting there. I hope it's getting there. So I think the biggest thing has been like who nobody knows what Calgary is, where Calgary is. Um, and then I think also the biggest challenge has been monetary finances, things like that. Even though I think organizations like Factor or Alberta Music are doing a great job with grants and things like that, I think it still is really hard for artists and musicians to make a living, a proper Mm -hmm. living off of their art. Right. And this year you decided to actually take this on full time. Mm -hmm. And how how has that been? It's been good. It's been a little challenging trying to balance life as a father mm-hmm. and then life as a creative I'm not trying to like separate those necessarily but understanding that being a creative is is my work right and then also being a dad and taking care of a child is my work as well so yeah i don't know i think there have been a lot of great opportunities that have come up for me i feel like working from home too and just producing from home has been amazing for my mental health as well and not working like a 9 to 5 that I'm bitter about. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're happy you made that decision overall. I am happy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's tough, but it's, I think it's worth it. So what's your ultimate vision for Rabino and where do you see yourself in five years? Wow. On the Ellen show. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> um, but honestly, yeah, I think every creative in Calgary anywhere, honestly, has the right to dream big. So, I mean, yeah, maybe if, if you're dreaming of playing on Ellen, Go for it. You could do it in five years, honestly, if you really put your mind to it and your uh, hard work to it. So, yeah, I'd love to see Rubino playing some bigger stages, touring in the States and at home. In five years, I'd love to do like an uh, an Asia tour. Nice. That'd be really sweet. But I think in the way that Rubino's heading, we're aiming for it to be less of like a bar, a bar band mm-hmm. or like a club band and more of like a worldwide phenomenon cool we'll see what happens yeah okay well good luck with that thank you (laughs) i'm glad i had you on my show (laughs) it's nice knowing you we'll talk in five years (laughs) yeah that's amazing so i guess moving since you're changing direction i haven't heard the new song so i don't Mm. really know what it's like but what do you hope is the audience that resonates with your new sound and why did you change direction with the genre Mm. i guess for the audience we would love for everyone to listen to it i feel like the the typical audience that would listen to this music would be people 16 to like 35. Okay, I feel cool. like that's the kind of crowd that it would attract. If you listen to like the 1975 and No Rome, that kind of music, that's kind of the 
genre, I guess, we're aiming for. The reason we decided to switch genres kind of or switch direction was because we wanted to appeal to a bigger audience. With the early Rubino, um, I felt like it was hitting a good-sized demographic, but we wanted to expand that and make it a little more accessible to people who listen to Top 40, to people who listen to obscure R&B and everything in between. Right. So was it hard for you to change your writing style for that or did you feel like it was kind of an easy switch? Mm, A little bit. I think like what comes most natural to me is typical singer-songwriter folk, that kind of stuff. Sure. But I just spent a year listening to like a lot of top 40 and then like a lot of like underground pop and seeing what were the common denominators, common factors between both of those different genres Mm -hmm. and just applying that to my own writing. So while I think it is very different, I wouldn't say it's less authentic for myself. What's something that you want to improve on in your either production or musicianship Mm. that you're working towards currently? Or are you perfect? You can say that too. No way. Definitely (laughs) not perfect. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I listed the 1975 earlier and I was just thinking about their, I think it's their drummer, George Daniel, George Daniels. Okay. Yeah. And I guess he produces a lot of the 1975's work. And so I was listening to a bunch of the elements, like all these weird effects, weird laser effects that you'd hear kind of in the background of the music. And mm-hmm. I think that's just what I want to get better at doing kind of the little details, the ear candy, things like that without cool. making it too gimmicky. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, before I let you go, is there any artists right now that you're excited about that we should know about that you've been listening to? Wow. Yes. I would say locally, my friend Blessing, that's B-L-S-N-G. You got to listen to her. We're producing some uh, some more of her songs coming up. So uh, stay tuned for that. I think it's going to be an amazing project. She is an incredibly gifted songwriter and just a beautiful person. So check out her music. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. Yes. The single's fire, guys. Check yeah. it out. You've got it. <laughs> You've got it. My mm. blessing. By blessing. <laughs> Without the vowels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for talking to us, Colin. Thank yeah. you for having me. You could be a real dollar, slipping that cash, but I just don't buy. Wrecking baby, my own. Wow, I hope you are feeling so amped up after listening to this incredible episode with two of my friends who have inspired me beyond belief, Colin and Rihanna. I feel like I'm seriously not doing enough after chatting with them, but what a cool reminder for the joy of life and what we can accomplish when we live out who we are and express our own personal culture fully. If you want to check out Colin's music project, Rabino, you can find it anywhere you stream music. The artist is spelled R-A-B-I-N-O. And as mentioned, you can follow Rihanna at KDance on Instagram. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the show. Send me a tweet, send me a DM, send me an email, whatever. I want to talk to you this week. I'm currently in France working on a special episode coming soon, and I want to know what you think of the season so far, so don't leave me hanging out here. You can send me a message on any platform at Josiah Podcast, and visit my website, josiahpodcast.com, if you'd like to send me an email. 
I want to give a shout out this week to the incredible studios I've been recording my shows at, We Edit Podcasts. They have a beautiful space in Inglewood, Calgary, where all of my local episodes have been recorded and edited. And let me tell you, as a podcast maker, it has saved me so much time and energy so that I can really focus on my guests and the quality of the show. You have got to check them out if you're thinking of doing your own project. That's all for this week. I hope you were inspired, challenged, and encouraged by myself and my friends. And you're not going to want to miss next week's show. I think you'll be surprised and delighted by the guests I have lined up. Stay tuned and we'll see you all next week. 